Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about fall holy days and a little bit about fall winter holidays. Which should you keep if you're a Christian? Now, although they partially acknowledge the holy days that come in the spring, the Greco-Roman Catholics and the Protestant churches don't keep the biblical holy days that generally occur in the fall. Yet, all the biblical holy days portray many pivotal events in God's plan. Those considered to be fall holy days uh, occur in the seventh month of the biblical calendar, and you can read about them in Leviticus 23. And the seventh month is called uh, Ethanim in Scripture in 1 Kings 8.2, but it's more commonly known as the month of Tishri by the Jews because of their Babylonian captivity. As far as the spring holy days, this would include Passover, which, believe it or not, the Roman Catholic Church calls Easter. They say it's supposedly the same thing. Uh, uh, Pentecost and the Days of Eleven Bread. Now, while the Greco-Roman churches don't really acknowledge the Days of Eleven Bread particularly, they do acknowledge a Pentecost. Well, anyway, from the day of Pentecost until the first day of the seventh month, the month of uh, Tishri or Ethanim, is a big gap. And in the Church of God, we teach that that big gap essentially is talking about the church age. The church age, yes. This is the time from Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles, up until the blowing of the trumpets, uh, which happens on the Feast of Trumpets, and Jesus is to return on the last trumpet, at the last trump. So that period of time we consider to be the church age. Now the number seven uh, in God's plan signifies completion and perfection and the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar uh, is in September or October each year. I find it interesting, uh, September actually does mean seventh month uh, although in the Roman calendar it's actually the ninth month uh, because of two, two Caesars who interject a couple of months but the seventh month of God's calendar again usually begins uh, sometime in September. Because it's a lunar calendar, it doesn't begin on the same time all the, every year. Anyway, I'd like to read something from the Catholic Encyclopedia about uh, these holy days. It says, The seventh month was marked by the Feast of Trumpets on the first day, the seventh month, the, the Fast of Atonement on the tenth day, the Feast of Tabernacles from the fifteenth to the twenty-first day, the Days of Holy Convocation, were seven in number, two at Passover, now the two, they say two at Passover, that's the first and last day of unleavened bread, one at Pentecost, one at the Feast of Trumpets, one at the Day of Atonement, one at the Feast of Tabernacles, and one on the day following called the eighth day. And this is correct. And these seven holy days were commanded to be rest, like, like, like a Sabbath, you know, some wonder if early Christians kept the fall holy days. And, you know, when did they change to things like uh, Halloween, uh, All Saints Day, Day of the Dead, All Souls Day of Christmas, etc. And, you know, when did those things occur? Well, before we get to those, I'd like to go to the uh, Bible. We're going to go to the book of Leviticus. You may want to follow along. Go to Leviticus chapter 23. And most of the time, in this sermon, I plan on reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. 
Not because it's perfect, but because it does use modern English in a way people such as myself and hopefully you understand. Anyway, Leviticus 23, verse 23. Then the Lord, or eternal Yahweh, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, from that description, we get the term Feast of Trumpets. And, as I say, it tends to fall almost always is in September of every year, although in 2024 it will be uh, in October. And we have, by the way, in this free book, which is available online at ccog.org, we actually have a calendar that has the uh, uh, when, when all the biblical holidays fall. You won't be able to see it there, but uh, it's, it's in here, so you know which, which days they fall in and fall on. Now, some have been confused about biblical writings on the uh, fall holy days. Uh, Jesus and his early followers kept not only the spring holy days, but also the fall ones. Now, let's go to the book of John, Gospel of John, John chapter 7, start in verse 2. It says, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand, now, some people say, oh, that was just for the Jews. No, well, actually, according to other scholars, various scholars, uh, the, it was held in other places as well, but this is the one that was kept in Jerusalem. His brothers, as Jesus' brothers, therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his brothers didn't believe him. Verse 6, and Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. So sometimes people think things should be due in their way, their order. Jesus said, you might think this makes sense, but there's another, another reason that I need to do what I need to do. But your time is there, so you should go to the feast. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify it that its works are evil. You'll go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. We said these things to them. He remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast. Not openly, as it were, but in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast. Said, where is he? So obviously they would have gone and looked where his family was, and he wasn't with them. There was much complaining among the people concerning him. And there was some kind of a plot to try to do Jesus in when he first got there. And they couldn't find him. So then the plot basically fizzled out. Anyway, some said he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. And we see that nowadays. We see people who acknowledge the, the truth that we teach in the continuing Church of God from the Bible. And others say we deceive people even though we're not lying. People say the same thing about Jesus. Anyway, verse 13. No one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up in the temple and taught. So we know Jesus was at the feast no later than the middle of it, and I suspect he was actually there the first holy day, the first day of it, but just uh, in the various other crowds and stuff, people didn't know he was there. 
Now, Jesus himself taught on the last of the fall holy days. If you want to go down to verse 37 of John 7, this is a day that the Catholic Encyclopedia referred to as the eighth day. It is called the eighth day uh, in the Old Testament. But we tend to call it the last great day. And we do this based upon John 7.37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So anyway, we see from the New Testament that Jesus kept the fall holy days and he preached. And first century Christians did as well. And this is commonly known by scholars. And I'd like to read something the Apostle Paul wrote. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. You don't have to go there, but Paul wrote, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, well, we know Jesus kept the Feast of Tabernacles. And in 1 John 2, 6, the Apostle John was inspired to write, He who says he abides in him ought himself also ought to walk just as he walked. And that would include keeping the fall holy days. Now, I'd like to read something, because some people say, well, this is, the holy days are gone right after Jesus was uh, uh, resurrected. Well, no. I mentioned Acts chapter 2. Uh, this when the Holy Spirit was given. This was after Jesus was resurrected. Furthermore, I'd like to read something the Apostle Paul said. This is in Acts 18, verse 21. I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. Now, the Apostle Paul kept the fall holy days, and he wrote that he needed to keep this feast. As far as we can tell, this appears to be related to the uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, the fall holy days. And also, he kept another one, called the Day of Atonement, which was commonly called by the Jews the Fast. As a matter of fact, when I read from the Catholic Encyclopedia, they call it the Fast of Atonement, <clears throat> as opposed to the Day of Atonement. And in Acts 27, verse 9, we have Luke, a Gentile writer, writing to Gentiles who wrote, Now, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. I don't believe Luke would have been using the term the fast if Christians weren't keeping it because he was writing to a Gentile who was also a Christian who again would have known what it was because he was keeping it. Now, the observance of the Feast of Trumpets is not specified as such in the New Testament, but both Jesus and the Apostle Paul kept it. The Bible teaches that Jesus kept the law, John 15.10, and did not sin, uh, Hebrews 4.15. And he would have kept all the holy days, including the Feast of Trumpets. And you don't have to go there, but in Acts 28, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said to the Jews, Men and brethren, 
Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. Why? Because he was still keeping the holy days. And I'm going to go to Philippians 3. You may want to go there. I'm going to read a few verses. Philippians 3, starting verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. Circumcised on the eighth day, as a stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But Paul is saying, look, I kept, being, kept things including the holy days. Now furthermore, Jesus, Paul, and others taught about a future trumpet that Christians were supposed to know about. For example, Matthew 24, cutting into verse 30, Jesus said, And they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now that's similar to what the Apostle Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll just read verses 16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we see from both Jesus and Paul that the saints are going to be gathered when a particular trumpet sounds that goes forth. Now which trumpet is that going to be? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read verses 51 and uh, uh, 52, see what the Apostle Paul wrote about this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Both uh, Jesus and Paul not only kept the holy days, they taught what they meant, or parts of what they meant, at least. Well, what about Gentiles? Well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2. We're going to read verses 13 and 14. Now, Paul here is commending those in Thessalonica, which is part of Greece. So it's still part of the nation of Greece, by the way. And he commends those who imitate the church of God in Judea, where the Jews are. Verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is the truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you and believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. And a church in Judea in Christ Jesus kept the Feast of Tabernacles and all that kind of, the other holy days. They're commended for doing so. Now I'd like to read something from a Roman Catholic writer, Dr. Marianne J. Lacey. And this is under Pauline Epistles, or Letters from Paul. Another less obvious Sukkoth theme. Now, Sukkoth is a term meaning booths, or booths, and this is what Jews commonly call the Feast of Tabernacles. So, so this has been detected in Paul's use of Greek words 
uh, regarding an earthly body. The way he juxtapositions it with a, uh, a new body with Jesus' return and, and in heaven you get a heavenly body. He compares himself to an earth, earthly vessel and Paul's influenced here in Second uh, uh, Corinthians according to various scholars by the Feast of uh, Tabernacles which they call Sukkot here. And basically he says he's naturally thinking of a booth which is essentially a temporary dwelling recalling the time our forefathers spent in the wilderness they lived in tents but also that this body is temporary so uh, the Roman Catholic writer saying oh this is this is part of the New Testament I want to read something from the uh, Roman Catholic Cardinal uh, Jean uh, Danilou he wrote did the Jewish Christians retain the Jewish feast while giving them new meaning and the new meaning would be Christian meanings. He said, The Feast of Tabernacles was certainly kept in the month of September by Jewish Christians as by the Jews. He also wrote, uh, there was a strong, This had strong influence on Christians and formed millenarianism, which had its center in uh, Asia Minor, where both Papias and Corinthians belong. This was connected with the mystique of festivity, which belonged essentially to the Feast of Tabernacles. So what this Roman Catholic Cardinal was saying is early Christians in Judea definitely were keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and they felt it had to do with the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, which by the way is what we in the Continuing Church of God teach. Uh, now, uh, Cardinal Danilou also believed that a non-canonical book called The Shepherd of Hermas uh, had something to do with the keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, which suggests that even in Rome, in the second century, there were people keeping uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I'd like to read something again from Dr. Lacey. The members of the first generation of followers of Jesus were largely indistinguishable from the Jewish community. Although they professed a belief in the Messiahship of Jesus, the new Christians at first observed most of the Jewish laws, the Jewish calendar, and the festivals. And I told you that as far as the calendar, it's free in this particular book, which is available at ccog.org. Just go into the literature tab, and you'll find this book and booklet and other ones we have, and they're all free. You can read them online. If I hold any other book or booklet up, again, you can find it free at ccog.org. Just go into the literature tab, and you'll find it. Anyway, she wrote, a large range of groups who could be described as Jewish Christians shared two characteristics. A belief in Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, uh, and selected aspects of the Torah, such as circumcision, dietary laws, and the feasts of the Jewish calendar. Of course, it's the Hebrew calendar, the biblical calendar. So people know this. Now, there was a Church of God leader in Asia Minor. He's a Gentile. Uh, his name was Melito. He lived in an area called uh, Sardis, which is an Asia Minor, which would be modern Turkey today. Now, I had to translate this from the Greek, so here's what uh, something that Melito wrote for my translation. You anoint the body, providing the tools. You variously anoint humanity with your festivals. So that's a strong indication, additional proof, if you will, that in Asia Minor, they were keeping the biblical holy days. Notice, 
Melito saying, God anoints humanity with the festivals. Which ones? The ones in the Bible. Which are those? The ones I mentioned before. Passover, Days of and Bread, a Pentecost, a Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day. And they're all listed, by the way, in the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus and were observed by early Christians and have been observed by Christians throughout history. Anyway, Melito mentioned festivals plural. And if we look to the uh, New Testament, we see the original apostles uh, kept, kept them. Uh, they're mentioned in both the Old and New Testaments. Uh, the earliest uh, bishops of or pastors of Jerusalem up to 134-135 AD, they were all circumcised Jews, and according to historians, they all kept the biblical holy days. And according to Eusebius, they received the knowledge of Christ in purity. They weren't corrupted by what happened to various ones other places. Polycarp and Polycrates, Polycarp of Smyrna, who was a uh, early Church of God leader, as well as uh, Polycrates of Ephesus, said they followed the practices of the Apostles in regard to Holy Days. So did another Church of God leader in the 3rd century, by the name of uh, Peonius. He's also from Asia Minor. Now, Polycrates of Ephesus, late 2nd century, said that Melito Sardis followed the practices of the Apostles in regard to the Holy Days. And we've also got a 3rd century document attributed to Peonius that says Polycarp kept the Paul Holy Days. And early Christians kept these Holy Days. They understood their meanings. They had a, a, a different meaning that the Jews didn't fully grasp because they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. Now I'd like to read something that allegedly Peonius wrote about Polycarp of Smyrna. Polycarp was a Church of God leader. He was anointed by the Apostles. Uh, he was martyred somewhere around 160 or so uh, uh, AD. And here's something that's from something called the Life of Polycarp. I will give narration in order considering the history of the Blessed Polycarp. He pursued reading scriptures from childhood to old age. Himself reading in church, he recommended to, to others. Yeah, he told people to read the Bible. Saying the reading of the Law and the Prophets was the forerunner of grace, preparing and making straight the way of the Lord. And we've got a book called Proof Jesus is the Messiah, where we go through hundreds of scriptures in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, that the Bible shows that Jesus fulfilled. And Polycarp encouraged people to do that. And he says that, uh, we get knowledge and from the Old Testament and uh, this smoothed and leveled with the Holy Spirit comes as a pen and the joy of the voice of the gospel and the doctrine of Christ may be inscribed on them. And let's just go through here. It says, it was unfolded, it opened like closed doors. The minds of recent comers, according to the prophet, was bidden by God. Cry aloud, mightily and spare not. Raise your voice as a trumpet. What must one say when even he that was gentler than all men so appeals and cries out at the Feast of Tabernacles? 
For it's written, On this last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus spoke and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So we hear, have references related to Polycarp talking about Jesus and trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there is a Jewish account reported in the Talmud. It's recorded that in this early 2nd century, a Christian named Jacob, this is between 100 and 120 AD, and a Jewish scholar discussed the Day of Atonement. And the Christian Jacob explained how it helped to show that Christ was the head of the angels and we're supposed to be blameless in our conduct. And this ties in with what's going to happen if you go into uh, Revelation 20, which I'm not going to do that right now. But the fact that a Christian was explaining to a Jew why Christians were keeping the Day of Atonement shows, by the way, that yes, Christians were keeping the Day of Atonement and if this, if this was around, uh, let's say, 110, 120 A.D., you're talking 70, 80, 90 years from after the time Jesus was resurrected. There's also a, uh, an ancient document, an Arabic, an Arabic document uh, that they got from the Muslims, but it came from the 5th to 10th century, so prior, it could be before there were Muslims, that stated that Jesus and his disciples kept the Day of Atonement the same day the Jews did. And it also indicates that the, the, the Christians were keeping the Day of Atonement while the Greco-Roman types came up with a 50-day Lenten period for the spring instead that Jesus did not keep. And we've got reports from various other historians that also support this view. Now, I'd like to read something from the Greco-Roman bishop and Saint Methodius of Olympus. Now this is from the late 3rd century, early 4th century. This is before Constantine uh, gains power. Anyway, he taught the Feast of Tabernacles was commanded and that it had lessons for Christians. And he also tied it in with the millennial teaching of the reign of Christ. So here we've got from this Roman Catholic Saint Bishop a Greco-Roman bishop. These things, like air and phantom shadows, foretell the resurrection and putting off of our tabernacle that's fallen on the earth, which would also have to do with the Feast of Trumpets, which at length, in the 7,000 years, resuming again immortal, we shall celebrate the great Feast of Tabernacles in the new and indissolvable creation, the fruits of the earth having been gathered in and men no longer beginning begotten, but God resting from the works of his creation. For since in six days God made the heaven and the earth and finished the whole world and rested on the seventh day from all his works which he had made and blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, so by figure in the seventh month, when the fruits of the earth had been gathered in, we are commanded to keep the feast of the Lord. Notice he says we are commanded. He's talking about people who profess Christ. Which signifies that when this world should be terminated at 7,000 uh, years, when God will have completed the world, He will rejoice in us. For now to this time all things are created by His all-sufficient will and inconceivable power. The earth still yielding its fruits and the water is being gathered together in the receptacles. Then when the appointed times there shall be accomplished and God will have ceased 
to form this creation in the seventh month, the great resurrection day, it's commanded that the Feast of Tabernacles shall be celebrated to the Lord, of which things said in Leviticus are symbols and figures, which things, carefully investigating, we should consider the naked truth itself. For he says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding shall obtain wise counsel to understand a proverb and the interpretation of the words of the wise. So we see he's making it very clear that it's his opinion that Christians are supposed to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So my presumption is over there in Olympus, it's in Greece, he was keeping it as well. Now, although not all the Greco-Roman supporters endorsed or kept the Fall Holy Days, early people that they claimed to be saints absolutely did. And various ones in Asia Minor in the 2nd through late 4th century, kept the Feast of Tabernacles uh, there, as opposed to in Jerusalem. And some people say, oh yeah, only could have kept it in Jerusalem. Well, that's not what the Christians were doing. And this is confirmed, by the way, from such renowned Greco-Roman sources, such as uh, their, their Catholic uh, saint and doctor of their church, Jerome, uh, and uh, Cardinal uh, Danilu, who I mentioned before, now, I want to read about something else in the 4th century. Uh, this is, uh, Dr. Dacey uh, uh, reported this. Didymus the Blind wrote in the 4th century in his commentary on Zechariah. He begins by recalling the literal meaning of the text. Yes, we should look at the literal meaning of biblical text. The skein is the shelter of those who are traveling and symbolizes progress in virtue and wisdom. The scheme contrasts the idea of a house, which Didymus is a fixed dwelling and symbolizes the final state. So what she's saying here, a scheme or a tabernacle was a temporary dwelling as opposed to a permanent house. Anyway, she also writes, Didymus adds a messianic eschatological explanation, that means prophetic explanation of Sukkoth, a piece of tabernacles, inciting 2 Peter 1.14, in 2 Corinthians 5.4, he identifies the skein with the human body, saying that only those who persevere the purity of their bodies and spirits will celebrate Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It will be celebrated in the next world at the resurrection, when the corruptible body will rise up into an incorruptible body. The body sown in weakness and ignominy will rise up in power and glory to become a sacred dwelling. But after the rise of the 4th century Emperor Constantine, views from Greco-Romans mostly turned negative. Now Constantine uh, was a European Roman Emperor. Uh, somewhere around 272 AD, he was born in the city of uh, uh, Nisus, which is now called Nice in Serbia. He became a highly devoted sun god a follower after he saw an apparition of the sun god Sol, that's Sol, S-O-L, in the grove of Apollo in Gaul, which is southern France, in 310 A.D. He also observed the birthday of the sun god Mithras, which was December 25th. And he seems to have been one who got the uh, December 25th to be observed as Jesus' uh, birthday. 
And here's a couple of reports from various scholars. The first recorded date of Christmas being celebrated on December 25th was 336 AD, during the time of Roman Emperor Constantine. A few years later, Pope Julius I officially declared the birth of Jesus to be celebrated on the 25th of December. Christianity Today writes, The eventual choice of December 25th reflects a convergence of origins concerned about pagan gods and the church's identification of God's Son with the celestial Son. December 25th already hosted two other related festivals. Natalis Solus Invicti, the birth of the unconquerable sun, and the birthday of Mithras, the S-U-N of righteousness, whose worship was popular with Roman soldiers. The winter solstice, another celebration of the sun, fell just a few days earlier. Seeing the pagans were already exalting deities and some parallels to the true deity, church leaders decided to commandeer the date and introduce a new festival. Well, when they did that, that's certainly not a biblical one. They also picked up various symbols uh, associated with it, including symbols such as that tree uh, that the Bible opposed to Christians doing. Uh, by the way, the Catholic Encyclopedia uh, confers with this kind of stuff. Uh, I'll just kind of paraphrase some things I wrote. Uh, this one's an article called Constantine the Great. He wanted to combine uh, religions together. He cherished this idea. Couldn't Sol Deus Invictus, to whom Constantine dedicated his coins for a long time, or Sol Mithras Deus Invictus, venerated by Diocletian become the supreme god of the emperor. But by the way, here's a picture of, uh, I don't know how well this is going to come out. This is a picture of a Constantine coin from 317 AD. This is after he supposedly converted to Christianity, uh, 312. Okay, this is five years later, he's still minting coins with uh, sun god on it. Matter of fact, I've heard it went many years longer than that, but this is one I happened to find. Uh, and I asked the guy who took the picture if I could use it, and he told me I could. Anyway, the Catholic Encyclopedia also talks about Mithraism. It says it's a pagan religion. It says Helios, which means sun. Mithras is one god. Sunday was kept in honor of Mithra. The 25th of December was observed as his birthday. And so this is basically where we ended up getting uh, December 25th for Christmas. Now, according to the historian Eusebius, uh, uh, in his uh, writing called The Life of Constantine, Emperor Constantine said, quote, Let us have nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd, for we've received from our Savior a different way. And his different way was he started to put in various councils. He did the Council of Nicaea and encouraged people to uh, switch, keep from Passover on the right day to another day. Again, he seemed to be one who came up uh, or pushed December 25th. Now, a few de decades after Christmas was adopted by Rome, the Greco-Roman Saint John Chrysostom, he preached some stuff in 387 A.D., which I want to read. The festivals of pitiful and miserable Jews are soon to march upon us, one after the other in quick succession. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Fast. There are many in our ranks 
who say they think as we do, that some of them are going to watch these festivals, others will join the Jews in keeping their festivals and observing their fasts. So John Chrysostom was condemning the fact that there were professors of Christ still keeping the holy days in his area, the late 4th century, right around the time he adopted Christmas. He says, I wish to drive this perverse custom from the church right now. Perverse custom. And it was an original belief. If the Jewish ceremonies are venerable and great, ours are lies. Does God hate their festivals? And do you share in them? He did not say this or that festival, but all of them all together. And he talks about the other holy days, says the law of fixed and feasts of tabernacles. Now, what's interesting, remember he said that all the holy days together are just as bad. Well, but he wrote in favor of another festival of the Jews. He wrote, when it says the day of Pentecost was fully come, that is, when at Pentecost, well, about it in short, for it's essential that the present events likewise should take place during the feast. For those who witness the crucifixion of Christ may also behold these. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men. The fact of their dwelling was a sign of piety. And they were abiding there, for it was Pentecost. So, John Chrysostom, who just said all the holy days are together, good or bad, admitted this one was good. Now, John Chrysostom was basically an anti-Semite. Uh, he also uh, declared, don't be surprised if I call the Jews pitiful. They're really pitiful and miserable. The godlessness of the Jews and the pagans is on power, on par, but the Jews practice a deceit which is more dangerous. Do you see that the demons dwell in their souls and that these demons are more dangerous than the ones of old? Since it's against the Jews, I wish to draw upon my battle line. Let me make extend my instruction further. Let me show that by fasting now, the Jews dishonor the law and trample underfoot God's command because they're always doing everything contrary to his degrees. Decrees. When God wished them to fast, they got fat and flabby. Indeed, the fasting of Jews is more disgraceful than any drunkenness is over and gone. Does the Bible teach that? No, the Bible teaches to fast on the Day of Atonement. Now, remember, John Chrysostom said, if the Jewish days are venerable and great, ours are lies. What did Jesus say? Well, I wrote, I'm going to go to... Uh, uh, well, actually, this is John wrote this. This is John 7, verse 37. I'm going to read this now from a Roman Catholic translation. This is from the Rames New Testament. I read it from the Protestant translation before. Here's what the Rames New Testament says. And in the last, the great day of the festivity, Jesus stood and cried. So, the Roman Catholic translation of the Bible says there's a holy day that's great. And John Chrysostom says if the Biblical holy days are great, then his are lies. That's right. But sadly, people uh, don't. Many people who profess Christ don't want to keep God's holy days. They decide to keep other things. Now, you might be Roman Catholic, you might be Protestant, and I want to hold up a couple of books just because um, we've got one called "Hope and Salvation: How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism." Now, Protestants claim sola scriptura. But if they did go by Sola Scriptura, as well as the practices of the early church, they would be keeping the biblical holy days. 
I challenge you, if you're a Protestant and you think you're abiding by Sola Scriptura, basing doctrine upon the Bible and not inherited traditions which compromise with paganism, I challenge you to read this because I think you'll find if you're willing to believe the truth, and the God's Word is truth, so like Polycarp, who's actually, there's a, supposed to be a likeness of him there, like Polycarp urged people to read the Bible, I am too. This particular book, however, not only has the scriptures, has some explanation and some historical information on it as well. Now, you might be Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox and say, you keep the beliefs of the original Christian church, the original Catholic church. I would challenge you to read this. This particular book, not only does it have scriptures, now in this book, almost all the scriptures are from Protestant translations. In this book, pretty much all the scriptures, almost all of them are from uh, Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholic accepted translations of the Bible. And in this book, there's a lot more quotes from what the Greco-Romans call early church fathers, people that they called saints, who held doctrines consistent to those that we hold in the continuing Church of God, but doctrines that many of which are no longer held by the Greco-Roman Catholics. Again, if you believe you are practicing the original faith, and you haven't read this, I urge you to do so. And if you're not sure if you're practicing the original faith, either of these particular books will be helpful for you to, to read. It's highly, highly referenced, hundreds of scriptures that you can prove. Believe the Word of God. Most people have accepted traditions that go contrary to the Word of God. Now, I mentioned that uh, Jerome said that, uh, talked about the feast, at least the fall feast. I'm going to read something from a Roman Catholic scholar, the late uh, Bellamino Bugatti. He wrote, St. Jerome, speaking of how the Judeo-Christians celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, tells us they gave the feast a millenarian significance. In other words, they thought that the they felt that the Feast of Tabernacles pictured the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. And he and he says Jews and Judeo-Christians celebrated the same feast. So yet, people like John Chrysostom were against it. Um, some more things he wrote. He wrote that the wicked, unclean, fast the Jews is at our doors. And says, God led them out of the world, confined them to a single place, Jerusalem. In no other place they permitted to fast, sacrifice, celebrate the festivals or tabernacles, or indeed read the law. So that's his, his claim, but that's simply, simply not the case. Again, concerning the festival, which is now eminent, he warns, for seven days you shall celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles when you gather your threshing and wine vat. Chrysostom is like, no, we don't want people to do that. He also says, he says, first let me recite the law concerning Passover. You shall not be able to celebrate Passover in any of these cities which the Lord gives you, but the place which the Lord your God chooses to be called there, meaning Jerusalem. So Chrysostom is saying, you can only do it in Jerusalem, and that's what the Bible says. But the reality is that Jews kept Passover in other places. And they did so for centuries uh, because they didn't take over Jerusalem until uh, David captured it in 2 Samuel 5, verses 6 and 7. So Chris has to say, no, only one place. And you say, okay, well, what, then once the Jews had Jerusalem, that's the only place. No. Christians kept Passover in other places. I'm not going to read all of this just for time. 
But Polycrates of Ephesus wrote to a Roman bishop by the name of Victor and said that they're going to keep the exact day of Passover. And he talks about in Asia, in Asia Minor, great lights fell asleep, which will rise on the day of the Lord's coming. One of these is Philip, one of the twelve apostles, as well as his daughters. And John, who was a witness and a teacher, who uh, reclined on the bosom of the Lord, this is the Apostle John, who died in Ephesus, it's again in Asia Minor. And Polycarp in Smyrna, uh, Thracius, who uh, fell asleep in Smyrna, uh, Sigaris in Laodicea, Melito of Sardis. So they all together lived in the Holy Spirit, and they died, and they were keeping the holy days, and they lived in Asia Minor. They weren't going down to Jerusalem. So John Chrysostom's interpretation of this was wrong. Yet many people believe that. And Jesus himself, by the way, in John 4, verses 19 through 24, said true worship was not limited to Jerusalem. The Bible shows the Feast of Tabernacles Tabernacles could be kept in cities other than Jerusalem, and you can see that in Nehemiah 8.15. Uh, and during the second temple period, which is from about 530 to 70 AD, the Jews kept it in other places. Uh, a Jewish source says, Sukkot was a great, great festival even outside of Jerusalem. So this was something that uh, the idea that it could only be kept in Jerusalem is false. And when Jerome, by the way, was writing about uh, the Judeo-Christians, who he called Nazarenes, who were keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, they weren't in Jerusalem either. Now, we have some limited records about uh, the Holy Days being kept during the Middle Ages and afterwards. This is from the old Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course, Lesson 51 from 1968. Under the name of Passagini, we have the clearest sort of statement that these people around 1200 observed the whole Old Testament law, including the Sabbath and festivals. People called the Cathars at Cologne, Germany, kept a fall festival called Malolosa, even before Peter Waldo began to preach. The word uh, uh, Malolosa is similar to a Hebrew word meaning ear of grain, or being a harvest festival. Uh, it's called the Feast of Ingathering. The Feast of Tabernacles is called that in Exodus 23. How much more would we have learned about these people, they wrote, if the Inquisitors hadn't built, burned their records? And they had a three-part division of tithes in the Waldensian Church in the 1500s. It says, Money given to us by the people is carried to General Council and delivered in the presence of all, where the elders uh, go and they basically preach. And part of it's given to people who travel, or is used for traveling. And the travels, uh, the church, the old worldwide church, God thought that had to do with the Feast of uh, uh, Tabernacles and perhaps uh, the Spring Holy Days. Now, here's something from a Seventh day Adventist source. I mentioned Seventh day Adventists. They do not believe in keeping the biblical holy days, they do keep the Sabbath, and they are discussed, by the way, in this book. There's a chapter that covers them. Anyway. Here's what talked about the people in Transylvania area. 
The Sabbatarians viewed themselves as converted Gentiles. They held to the biblical holidays. The Day of Atonement was a day of fasting. The Day of Remembrance, uh, which they're talking about, the Feast of Trumpets, celebrating the fall of the year. On that day, they especially thank God for the creation of the universe, which, by the way, is a Jewish tradition that God created the universe on uh, the first day of the month, of, seventh month of the year, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, Tishri. Then I found another report uh, from something called the Sabbatarians of Hungary. It says there's 110 poetical compositions in this old hymnal. Uh, 44 of them have to do with the Sabbath. 11 go to the Feast of Passover. 6 to Pentecost. 6 to the Feast of Tabernacles. And 3 to the uh, Feast of Trumpets. And 1 to the Day of Atonement. And then besides this, there's other things. Although the Feast of First of Tishri is not called the New Year's Festival in the Old Testament, uh, it uh, was God's one as opposed to what the Pope did, it says. Attempting to understand these Jewish festivals by, uh, of, by the older Sabbatarians, it must be that they followed the examples of Jesus and teachings of Jesus. So in other words, this Hungarian source, probably around the 1400s, 1500s, uh, says, look, they were keeping the holy days. They had a songbook. Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, our, our hymnal as well. Let's go down here, pick it up. We have some that are uh, related to the holy days as well. Most of our uh, songs, however, are, are, are hymns from the Psalms. This is also available online at the ccg.org website. People have asked me, you know, how do you keep the holy days? Um, well, if you know how to keep the Sabbath, the Feast of Trumpets is basically uh, kept like Sabbath. Now, traditionally in our family, we tend to have our youngest child blow some type of a trumpet. Uh, the Jews uh, and the Hebrew, ancient Hebrews uh, blew uh, shofars and chitasaras, which are shofars are ram's horns and chitasaras are a, a silver uh, trumpet. And sometimes I'll do that uh, for the, on the holy days. But that's that's something you absolutely have to do. But trumpets were used to get people's attention. Anyway, we keep it like the Sabbath. Uh, if you can't attend uh, services live, you would watch them online, etc. Now the Day of Atonement is also kept like a Sabbath, except for those who can fast, people don't eat or drink during that uh, approximately 24-hour period of time. Uh, and just like a Sabbath, people should pray and attend services and watch messages. And again, if people are physically able, they should fast. If they are not physically able, then no, we don't think people need to fast. The Bible says to afflict your souls. And traditionally, based on various scriptures in the uh, Bible, uh, we can tell that this meant fasting. Again, the New Testament calls it the fast. And again, for people who can fast, we have them do it. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is normally kept differently. Uh, it's considered a pilgrimage's, pilgrimage uh, holy day or holiday. Uh, so we tend to travel to different places each year uh, for this. Uh, we're there for, uh, basically have to be there nine days. You get there sun before sunset on the uh, 15th of the seventh, day, seventh month of the year. 
And then you've got the seven days, the full days of the Feast of Tabernacles, followed by the eighth day, the last great day. Uh, and so it's, it basically it hits nine uh, Roman calendar days. And, and if you spend another night or so there, sleep and travel the next day. So it's, we travel in order to do that. We, we go to uh, church services each day. It's financed by what we call second tithe, which is a tithe that you save for yourself. First tithes are typically donated to the church for various purposes. Second tithe, people are to keep for themselves and use for festival expenses. Now, why keep the holy days? Let's go to Romans 14. Some people say Paul's writings means that days don't matter. So let's go to Romans 14, read what Paul wrote, starting verse 5. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind, and hopefully your mind will be led by God's Holy Spirit and believe the Word of God. He who observes a day observes the Lord, and he who does not observe a day to the Lord does not observe it. He who eats, eats the Lord, he gives God thanks. He who does not eat the Lord, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. None of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Now, what the Apostle Paul is writing here is on fast days. This is not doing away the biblical holy days or a recommendation to adopt pagan days, which some people have improperly considered that that's what this means. It has to do with fasting. Jesus said that his disciples would fast, and he didn't mean just the Day of Atonement, because they were always doing that when they were with him. Uh, some people like to fast around the fr uh, first day of the month or in the middle of the month or whatever. They pick various days they want to do it. Um, and when you choose to fast, you can pick what, are, uh, what day you want to do it. Although, again, we don't, we don't recommend a, a, a full fast on, uh, during the days of unleavened bread because you're supposed to use a small amount of unleavened bread every day. But you could actually time it. Or you could actually fast if you wanted to for 47 and a half hours and still not uh, violate the days of unleavened bread by eating some unleavened bread. Uh, now I want to go to 1 Corinthians 10. You know, a lot of people felt it was proper to uh, mix uh, pagan holidays in with what they called Christianity. One of the first people to do this was somebody called uh, Gregory the Wonder Worker. I'm not going to go into that, but he violated what this says in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, verse 19. Paul writes, What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what's offered to an idol is anything? Rather, that with the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Which is why this booklet is called Should You Keep God's Holy Days or Demonic Holidays? We get this from the Bible, as well as, by the way, the Catholic Encyclopedia endorses the fact that paganism is associated with many of the uh, um, days they observe. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. That's why we're not supposed to combine pagan holidays, paganism with God's holy days. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? A lot of people say, oh, it doesn't bother me. I can just do that. No, Apostle Paul says, no, you're not stronger than Jesus, and no, don't do it that way. You know, throughout history, like in Acts 5.29, we read, 
we ought to obey God rather than men. We're supposed to be based on what the Word of God says and not traditions that other people have. You know, early Christians kept biblical holy days. And let's go to uh, something from uh, a Roman Catholic writer. What about these other holidays that are in the fall or the winter? You know, many who profess Christ keep various days. There's some pictures related to them on the back of our booklet. The front is uh, uh, more like for uh, Christians who are following God's holy days, and this is symbols for people who think that they can add them. So anyway, here's what a Roman Catholic writer wrote. It should be noted that Halloween is a Catholic holiday. Pope Gregory IV in 835 made it a universal practice in the Roman Catholic Church to celebrate All Saints Day on November 1. All Saints Day follows the next day as a commemoration of the faithful who departed. All Hallows Eve, the evening before All Hallows Day, All Saints Day, eventually became shortened to Halloween. It was a Protestant Reformation that rejected the universal practice of devotion to the dead. The Catholic holiday was attacked, much like the church, for being pagan and evil. But November 1st was the first day, was the day of the Celtic Summer's End Feast of Samhain, the day when the dead returned to the earth. We, some Roman Catholics, we have retained some of these pagan elements in Halloween, as is true of Christmas and Easter. Why would a Pope put Catholic celebration of the dead on top of pagan celebration of the dead? Because the Catholic feasts are in continuity and fulfill the meaning of the pagan ones. Again, this is a Roman Catholic writer. This is why C.S. Lewis said that Christianity is a fulfillment of paganism. But the Apostle Paul said, don't do that. Now, this Catholic writer says, since we don't reject the use of trees at Christmas time because they were pagan, well, it says in the New Old Testament, in Jeremiah 10, we are supposed to reject those, we continue to use them because as symbols of the life they now point to in Christ. Now, according to the Bible, they don't. So what about all the indulgence in the spooky and scary? Skeletons are spooky, but they're very Catholic. Okay, this is from, that was from Brian Killen. Killian. Halloween, an autumn celebration. Reminder, God's name is hallowed. This is from Catholic Online International. So again, he said that Catholic feasts are in continuity and fulfill the meaning of the pagan ones. Now the Catholic Encyclopedia, by the way, specifically teaches, quote, Christmas was not among the early festivals of the church. Irenaeus and Tertullian, the two they consider the, the most important uh, histor early historians, omit it from their lists of feasts. And Origen of Alexandria, he discredits the uh, sun holiday and, and also says that in scriptures only sinners celebrate birthdays. We're not supposed to do it. Again, that's reported by the Catholic Encyclopedia. And 
There's different times, different popes supposedly endorse it. One of us, uh, Liberius of Rome in 354, ordered people to celebrate uh, Christmas on December 25th. Now, the World Book Encyclopedia says he probably chose this date because Rome already, already observed it as a piece of Saturn, celebrating the birthday of the sun. Yeah, according to uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia, uh, the 25th of December actually wasn't uh, adopted into Constantinople until 395 for sure. He said it might have been earlier, which is what I was alluding to, uh, but John says John Chrysostom for sure did it by 395. Um, I mentioned uh, trees in Jeremiah 10. I won't go back there uh, about that, but I would like to go to Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy 12, starting verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you dispossess, or you're converted from paganism, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed yourself that you're not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. So we're not supposed to do this. Now I'd like to read something from, this looks like a Protestant writer, and uh, he doesn't believe people should keep the biblical fall holy days. So his name is Eric Jobe, and here's what he wrote. The article's called, Why Do Christians Not Celebrate Jewish Feast? And we assert that Christians do celebrate the biblical holy days. He writes, the feasts of the Jewish liturgical calendar are biblical commemorations, either being commanded by God in the Bible to be observed, or otherwise commemorating a biblical event. Why don't Christians celebrate them? Well, as I said, they really do. The simple answer is twofold. Christian feasts are the fulfillment of various Jewish feasts. And because of this, they have a distinctly Christ-centered focus. Well, that's actually a reason to do it. The Jewish feasts were shadows or types of what was to come. They've now been fulfilled by Christ. Therefore, by celebrating distinctive Christian feasts, we also celebrate what the Jewish feasts foreshadowed. For this reason, Christian feasts include many references and allusions to Jewish feasts. And here's one that says, uh, Jesus' Jewish feasts fulfilled in Christ. The Feast of Tabernacles. This is a harvest festival. And being in booths showed the Israelites living as slaves in Egypt. It was to remember that God brought them from being slaves to no match them to a great nation. This feast does not have a Christian analog, nor is it fulfilled in any particular Christian feast. However, we have a monastic tradition that many people in hermit, hermits and caves made dwellings and are reminded we're pilgrims in this world awaiting a new city, the kingdom of God. See, he's contradicting himself. He says, okay, the Jewish festivals were uh, fulfilled in Christ, 
Except, he says, they really were not fulfilled in Christ because they don't have anything that fulfills this particular one. And so what, what the reality is, the Feast of Tabernacles pictures the millennium, and the millennium is a future event. When Jesus came, it was not the millennium. Okay. Also, the Feast of Trumpets pictures Jesus returning the second time. Uh, that hasn't been fulfilled. Now, I go there are people called preterists who say that this has been fulfilled, but this has absolutely not been fulfilled. Yet we've got this Protestant going out saying that this has been fulfilled in Christ. And it's not true. People are listening to and believing lies. All right, now... I want to go to what the Bible itself actually says, Leviticus chapter 23. I want to start in verse 4. It says, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month of twilight is the Lord's Passover. On the fifteenth day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then you cut uh, down further. Uh, I've talked about counting fifty days the seventh Sabbath. And then it says it's Further down, in the seventh month, and the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. The fifteenth day of this month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. And the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. So, when they are, it's laid out in the Bible, it is clear. Yet you have people, because of their false traditions, or false explanations, who say they should not be keeping them. Now, I'd like to read from the Statement of Beliefs of the Continuing Church of God about each of the Holy Days so you have a better idea of what they mean. Because these are different than pagan holidays that much of the world has adopted. The Feast of Tabernacles helps picture the blowing of seven trumpets in the book of Revelation, announcing events taking place during the Day of the Lord. Then we've got lots of scriptures cited here. The last trumpet signals the resurrection of the saints and the second coming of Jesus. This is, now I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 15.52. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And now in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead Christ will rise first. Every seven years, a year of land rest and debt release begins with this holy day. So that's the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Day of Atonement. The David Talmud called the fast in the New Testament helps show our weakness and need to be closer to God. This day shows that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins and that those called, that those call, who will be called in the age to come. It also helps picture Satan has a role for our sins as humankind. He'll be punished by being bound a thousand years. Feast of Tabernacles shows a time of abundance, helps picture the millennial kingdom reign Jesus, of Jesus and his saints on the earth. And by the way, if you read our statement of beliefs, I have various scriptures cited here. I'm not going to repeat here. And this is going to happen after the total near destruction of humanity will bring upon itself through its activities during the Great Tribulation of the Day of the Lord. And also show humanity the advantages of living God's way of life. The last great day. The last great day helps picture that all who ever lived will have a real opportunity for salvation. An opportunity most will accept. People who do not keep God's holy days do not fully understand God's plan of salvation. It's one of the reasons why the book for Protestants is called Hope of Salvation. How the continuing church of God differs from Protestantism. We also have a book 
called Universal Offer of Salvation. Goes into lots of scriptures that many people have overlooked about God's plan of salvation, which again, if people would keep the biblical holy days, they would better understand that God has a plan. He's not just saving a few now. He has a plan that's laid out in his holy days. And the last great day, going back to our statement of beliefs here, helps picture that all who ever live will have an opportunity for salvation, an opportunity that most will accept. We do not teach universal salvation. We do teach that there will be an offer to the, of some in this age and the rest in the age to come. The New Testament name comes to the Apostle John who wrote on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus cried, up, cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of, rivers of living water. And um, our statement also says, History provides references that early followers of Christ, such as the Gentile Polycarp, observed the Seventh-day Sabbath and the Holy Days, etc. By observing the days the Bible enjoins, Christians can come to understand more deeply God's plan of salvation and some of the steps taken toward salvation. The biblical festivals show Christ was truly sacrificed, Passover. Christians are to live without the hypocrisy of leaven and malice of wickedness. And you can suffer that in both the Old and New Testaments. The biblical festivals also help show that some are predestined to be called in the church age, that there is an age to come, and that the destiny for all humans is to be given an opportunity of salvation. Again, I held up this free book. Again, it's available at the ccg.org website. The Fall Holy Days help picture crucial information about God's plan of salvation that most who don't keep them simply don't understand. I want to read something that Jesus said, and this is Matthew 15. Verse 7. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That Protestant writer who's telling people that they don't need to keep the biblical holy days because their substitutes replace them all is relying on false traditions. Don't fall for such things. As I mentioned before, the apostle said we have to obey God rather than men. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, the biblical holy days are mentioned or alluded to. The, the, the fall holy days have future fulfillment that will happen after the end of this church age. Uh, to learn more about them, I recommend you read our free booklet, Should you Keep God's Holy Days or Demonic Holidays, which includes ones that come in the spring and in the fall. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.